love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Gurugamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Gurugamesh. Welcome to the Grugamesh Podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. Don't question that. I am the host of the Most Mostly Jay, and today, bada bada, chala, nechala, this show's about people talking anime, about a monkey fighting boy, Spakin! Today we're diving into the big one, the OG Japanimation empire that conquered the world about a monkey who loves to punch things. It's Dragon Ball, and uh, I have I have ascended to my my new battle power. And joining me, uh, my fellow G fighters of Mystic Gabe Greetings. and um, Muten Vikram. Oh, okay. I didn't know we were gonna go Muten. I thought you were gonna say from the planet Namek. Look, you being the one minority on the podcast, I didn't want to instantly make you the alien. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's exactly <laughs> so why I thought you were going to make you. the alien, because I was like, there's a 50-50 on it, this Piccolo one. Piccolo is probably the most, you know, it's probably, you know, the, the best represented minority in all of Dragon Ball, so... And we have him here with us today, yes. gently watching over us. I've, I've gathered my various Dragon Ball figures, and uh, if you'll join me in prayer, gentlemen, uh, we have a religious shrine here, and we will pray to uh, the glorious god Piccolo. And the goddess Yamcha. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes, our yin and yang. Praise Piccolo, the water the lookout. Kami be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On other world as it is in heaven. Give us our day, our daily senzu, and deliver us from evil containment wave, as we forgive those who resurrect us. Mako Kansapo. Beautiful. He is well pleased. <laughs> so, um, this was intimidating, to say the very least, to cover one of the most influential shonen anime, one of the most influential anime in our lives that probably likely all got us to this exact room today. To say this was an undertaking would be an exaggeration. So, we're sort of breaking tradition here. Not only will we likely be going over our usual hour limit, because if there's one series that has earned it, it's Dragon Ball, we're going to be splitting this episode into two parts. So I'm going to say up top now, part one will be about the original Dragon Ball manga and the original Dragon Ball anime, Dragon Ball Z, and subsequently any sort of re-edits, dubs, and whatever you might constitute under those banners. Next week will be Super, GT, the movies, video games, whatever weird card game that I played in high school, my fan fiction that I'm pretty sure I burned once I figured out that people could leave nasty reviews on fanfiction.org. Don't forget those specials from, like, the uh, well, from the OG Dragon Ball anime, where a fireman. Yeah. The traffic yeah, safety and, one. Those and two. don't forget the hentai. That's an important addition. Yeah, um, yeah. Toriyama before he made it, he he really was into the doujin scene. You know, his initial work, uh, Doctor Humps, was yes, very influential. Which was very very popular. It just made yeah, him a millionaire many years into, before he did he Dragon was Ball. Into gag humor, which still plays its role in Dragon Ball to this day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, a lot a lot of gags in that scene. <laughs> Heyo! But no, um, the way we're gonna work this is there are a billion different podcasts that go from the A to B bread and butter history of Dragon Ball that are all various a variations on 
got Dragon Balls about a monkey boy called Goku in 1984 and he becomes a big monkey man and it turns out he was blonde the whole time. This this isn't going to be that. This will not be a retress, retrace of every single plot point of Dragon Ball. This will not be a retrace of every single event in chronological order leading up from Toriyama's discovery to his latest um, cash check from Toei Animation. No, this is more of us discussing like thoughts, feelings. The culture surrounding Dragon Ball, yes. those who made it, and where it reflects in the modern anime fandom. So... Honestly, Dragon Ball is in a really funny place because it's it's a billion dollar industry, but so many younger anime fans that are discovering anime through your latest seasonals, your digital simulcasting, yes. have no idea about its significance, and that's kind of insane considering it was America's number one anime gateway drug for the longest time and is inescapable. It's... Yeah. It's Dragon Ball is Japanese Star Wars. It's, also, it's also worth considering the amount of influence this stuff had on the creators coming up, who the creators who grew up reading it and watching oh, it. Everything like there is a pre-Dragon Ball Shonen Jump and there is a post-Dragon Ball Shonen Jump. That is undeniable. And it's something that you don't even have to necessarily say. You can um say that it's not even something you'd say less necessarily over plot details or things that happen but you can see it in literal character designs. Like pre-Dragon Ball, there was a lot more curves. There were a lot, uh, hair had a lot more detail to it. It was uh, curly and it had a, a lot more of those frayed ends, those split ends or even the frizz. And then after Dragon Ball, you can see it's cleaner, a lot more straight and angular. And it's like, you can, you could almost like see. Anime decided to hit the gym on a weekly basis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah, you can clearly see it in visual style and in terms of what, um, and in terms of plot points too. Yeah. It's kind of nuts considering, I mean, our number one talking point will be how, if there's one thing I kind of want to lay out, well, two things more often. The first thing is there is kind of no definitive way to experience Dragon Ball. Bringing back to my Star Wars analogy, I don't just mean it as a popularity. Star Wars has so many different additions and jumping on points, and Dragon Ball also has that. Granted, you have the manga that is sort of no delineation, there's no Z, it's just, you know, Goku is a young boy to Goku kidnapping an Arabian child and teaching him to fight on an island. But there's very, like, you know, depending on if you're a Latin American fan, if you're a Canadian fan, there's so many different versions of Dragon Ball, meaning it's very difficult to recommend the definitive Dragon Ball slash Dragon Ball Z, because in many ways, unless you were a Japanese kid watching this on television in the 80s and 90s, there isn't one. No, there really is Honestly, I'd fight you on the Japanese uh, kids thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because the anime adds stuff that the manga completely skips over and vice versa, so it's... Yeah. Dragon Ball's an enigma. It really is. So before we get into just the general thoughts, I gush over various... Okay, so audience, I have memorized so many fucking Japanese people's names over this past month. I'm not even sure if some of them are still alive, but fuck it. Are some of them even real names? Who knows? I, Who knows? I don't know. Look, look, I'm pretty sure Jerry Dragon Ball was very influential yes, with he, his he, key he, animation in episode 69. Yes. He drew, he drew all of those scenes with the, like, the, it was the Dr. Hump special. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a crossover. I thought it was 
It was Jake Toey and Jerry Animation. Well, well, Jerry Animation and Jake Toey were were old buddies, but like uh, uh, Gareth Tatsumoto kind of kind of sort of like gave them the funding. I mean, what I like to sort of specify is that you know uh, in the in the Doctor Hump special, you uh, you you have uh, Ariola, who is the inspiration for for (laughs) 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 We are. Five minutes in? No, that just caught me so far. It's gone That's the Garugamesh podcast staple. The problem is, is that, like, Ariola genuinely sounds like a conceivable name in the Dragon Ball. Yeah, Toriyama is so fucking fond of dumb name name puns taken from both Japanese and English words that it's... I can absolutely believe that. He he named the child Bra. (laughs) What else do you expect from that? Don't you mean Bula? Fuck. <laughs> look, they, look, look, Funimation had to change it because if you type in Dragon Ball Z bra, you will get pornography. You will not get the character. Which is why we need to go over it in part two. <laughs> okay, I'm getting this back on track as soon as possible. Before we dive into just the general sort of thoughts and feelings and funny facts about Dragon Ball, gentlemen, what was your first experience with this crazy monkey boy anime? Because all of us have a bit of a story. And I have quite a unique one, so I'll let you go first. So my first experience, I have vague memories of being a young boy and seeing- What was that like? (laughs) (laughs) I was was little. Okay, cool. I was very mesmerized by- Smaller than you are now. Yes. Quite substantially smaller than (laughs) I am now. So I have very vague memories as a young boy of like seeing snippets of Dragon Ball on like early morning TV on like Channel 5, because back in the day, the UK only had five TV channels. Um, And then I had some of the toys growing up as well, I think. You had the most obscure characters as well. Look, you had Kabito Kai and some obscure- Wait, he had Kabito Kai? That's actually so much weirder than the name. Why did you have Kabito Kai? Who wanted that? He, he was hated. He, nobody liked him. What's wrong with Kibito Kai? He's cool, man. He's chill. Nobody likes Kibito Kai. Do you just mean the red skin Kibito, or do you mean Supreme Kai fused with Kibito? No, I mean like classic red skin Kibito. What? Uh, We're like, gonna get in into this. I in promise. all seriousness, I had like Majin Buu. I had <clears throat> Trunks. I had a couple of other ones. I had Satan. Mr. Sin, good old boy Hercule. And then my first real introduction to it was I discovered anime as a young boy in secondary school. Okay. And my friend was telling me, oh, but there's a show called Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, and I was, and I was in my local game. Because in the UK, our equivalent to GameStop is literally called game. And take that as you will. And I found Dragon Ball Z Budokai Free on the PS2 for 99p. And I purchased that. And it was a great fucking time. Oh, it's a fucking beautiful game. Yeah, the video games are so influential that we have to sort of give them their own due in part two. And we will. From there, I started watching Kai when it was airing and then dropped off eventually. And then it wasn't until I think I was 19, 20 and I was working full time that I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going for all the Dragon Ball. I'm going for all of it right up to the end. And I would just sit on my lunch breaks and just watch like two or three episodes of Dragon Ball. I just did that for months and it was a phenomenal time. Fair enough. All right, Vic, you're up. Oh, okay. Uh, mine's... You have the, probably the most standard issue story. Uh, Kind of. So I was uh, six, five, um, and it was on Toonami. 
Uh, and that was my first introduction. Basically, my cousin, who's a few years older than I am, he was like super into it. He showed me it. I fucking adored it after I saw on Toonami. I was obsessed with it. And then at around, I think, eight or nine, I sort of fell off because Yu-Gi-Oh was happening and I was into Yu-Gi-Oh. And then when I was 12, uh, at some point, during one of my epic masturbation sessions, I actually saw a I Dragon Ball Z porn that. ad. I did not expect that, Ali. Yeah. Is this serious? Yeah. A, a Dragon Ball Z porn ad popped up. And I went, oh my god. Why are you even going to keep this in the show? Because before we were joking, this, you, is, are you actually linking your discovery of Dragon Ball Z to your sexual awakening? Yeah. Jesus uh, Christ. But yeah, I saw the Dragon Ball Z port ad, and then I was like, what the fuck? Look, I understand that the show is rated explicit, but I didn't think we'd have to get into this this soon. Hang on, nothing's happened. I haven't described anything explicit. I've just said there was a port ad. And going back into it, it reminded me Dragon Ball existed. And then I was like, hey, you know what? I should watch it. And so I went back and rewatched the whole anime. I take it back. You're, you have the most fucking baffling story of all. Yes, <laughs> I, I agree. Fullheartedly. Um, yeah, and then I rewatched the whole thing at like 13. And I was like, this is the greatest shit on planet Earth. And uh, I adored it. I was like, this is, this is, this is amazing. Oh my God. No wonder I loved it when I was six. Um... Not the porn, the anime. I, um, I hope you didn't discover it in the same way when you were six. I mean, no, <laughs> that would have been slightly more disturbing. <laughs> Quite impressive, considering dial-up internet. Fair uh, point. Uh, besides the point. So, in other words, I have at least in part Rule Thirty Four to thank for my re-entry into anime, or at uh, least re-entry into Dragon Ball Z. The good old Kamiya Sutra. Oh, I had I had watched the entirety of the series when I was like seven. Anyway, so it's kind of half and half. Okay, so I'm going to get this fucking freight train back on the goddamn road. Okay, so... What was your introduction to My introduction is actually kind of interesting. My first anime ever was the 2003 reboot of Astro Boy, which is honestly... Good reboot. Yeah, yeah. Fun. damn good show. So I was on a vacation in Mexico, and they had Cartoon Network that, by some decision, it would bounce between Spanish shows and American dub shows. And so my first exposure to Dragon Ball was a bullshit filler episode of the Spanish dub. And I'm sitting there as an 11-year-old little snot staring up at the television. And everyone looks really strange because Dragon Ball, if you don't know what anime is, is the most sort of... It's not Looney Tunes and it's not superhero cartoons. It is an insane mess of musculature, weird rounded aliens. Everyone looks like they come from a separate show, but it's been squished together. Yeah, I but think the, this is a good part of its appeal, yeah. actually, is because it looks so unique to everything else. But the moment I was like, what the fuck is this? Well, I wanted to watch Animaniacs. And then the dumb fucking kid with the Mo Howard haircut punched the weird troll doll. And I was like, holy shit! Violence in my cartoons! It was it was the fight between fucking dumb Saiyan Armor Gohan and Vegeta, which is not even a fight at all that got me invested in this. And so years later, I returned and was like, oh, is that the Troll Doll Beatles kid show? 
and then I just became obsessed. I read through countless Daizenshu now, Kaizenshu articles. I, you know, went through the Dragon Ball wiki, because we all went through the Dragon Ball wiki at some point. I just, I, before I was an anime fan, I was an obsessive Dragon Ball fan, and it's kind of been a fascinating bucket of both nostalgia and reawakening to discover this again and realize Dragon Ball is the perfect balance of, oh, this has depth and this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen, but I'm loving both ends of the spectrum. I, I don't know if I'd say that Dragon Ball has... Dragon Ball Z doesn't really have depth. Look, character. Like when I say depth, I mean character meaning. I don't necessarily mean Toriyama's making any bold statements sociologically. I more may I more mean, oh, that makes sense. Why the green man's anger angry at like the the big bald man? Yeah, it's less that I feel it's less of a oh hey, this is talking about. It's, it's not Ghost in the Shell or Akira. It's not discussing like what it is to be human. It's just a very shockingly well in a weird way shockingly well written and put together show that is very again weirdly internally consistent despite the fact it's not internally consistent at all and all of the characters actually are fleshed out and have now say it I will transform into my final form facts and logic (laughs) thank you red pilled freezer You're right. Oh, God. Yeah. No, Subscribe I- to my internet podcast, The Gender Force. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're cancelled. We're done. We've already been cancelled, boys. It's out. I also want to take the time to appreciate that I could have easily done Christopher Ayers, but now nah, I chose fucking Linda Young Freezer. Amazing. <laughs> God's work, good sir. Thank you very much. I'm honestly quite proud of that bit. Okay, so we've moved past our memories, and now this will be a more loosey-goosey episode, even though I do have my standard sort of pages of notes. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk about a few things, and feel free to sort of jump in, and then once we've cleared a few sort of like, Jay has a degree in media and needs to flex his analysis dick, then we can sort of get into the, this is what we love about this dumb monkey fighting anime. And so... Something I kind of really discovered when doing my various pouring through so many Dragon Ball forums is that the idea that shonen anime is this sort of auto thing made by one person is bullshit. Yeah, no, it's complete rubbish. <laughs> the editorial staff especially has so much influence. Dragon Ball would not exist without editorial like assistance by like, you know, Kazuya Torishima, like the anime staff completely rebooting when Z came around. Dragon Ball has so many names and fingerprints yeah. all over it that I cannot credit anyone but I'm going to try and name as many names I can just to sort of show that so many people shaped the anime specifically in what we know it today, just like even moments in our mind, because the manga, although being, you know, the original source, there's so much stuff that the anime adds in, even the like the non sort of obvious fiddle, like, you know, Ginyu, Bulma, driving cars... All of the silly stuff, and most of the influence on the manga can be distilled down. Obviously, Toriyama himself yes. and Torishima, his editor, who's a big influence, but we may touch upon him later. Yeah, exactly. From like animation directors to anime overseers, key animators, producers, script adapters, uh, like you know, dub translators. Dragon Ball has so many friggin' things in it. So I'm just gonna go through a couple of sort of key figures and sort of what they did to shake Dragon Ball's image and feel free to just jump on 
if you sort of have something to contribute, because I, I will occasionally need people to jump in and stop me from having a heart attack. That's fine, we'll let you talk for 40 minutes. And <laughs> look at you for so thing. what's really interesting about sort of diving into the animation process of Dragon Ball is the is talking OG, so 80s Dragon Ball, so much of it was done out of house, sort of like out of Toei animation. Like subcontracting was the way you went when you were making a long form TV anime. And I've got an image up on my computer and there are a total of from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball GT specifically in sort of with Super and the other movies. It's a lot more in-house of Toei staff. There are like 12 different animation houses that all worked on these shows. And it's kind of insane to sort of look at the sheer amount of I mean, if you've ever wondered, dear listeners, why Dragon Ball will look like one art style one episode and another the next, it's because it's swapped between dozens and dozens and hundreds of different Japanese people who were like, now nah, I'm gonna draw Goku's ears just a little bit bigger. And as I have actually measured, yes. at least in the original, actually no, it has to be in the Kai as well because yeah. it wasn't a redraw, it was just a recut. As I have measured, during the freezer fight in one of the scenes, Goku's ears were about 80% of the length of his whole face. Fantastic. Yeah, it was legit. I, I actually, like, literally pulled out a, a um, calipers, a pair of electronic calipers, just so I could get... And I went, yeah, this is roughly 80%. And I was, like, absolutely blown away. Um, also, his hair, depending on which scene he's in, is literally the size of his whole body. Because <laughs> especially in faraway shots, they wanted to highlight the fact that he had gold hair now. So they just made it bigger. OG Super <laughs> Saiyan is so puffy, it's great. Yeah. Um, and obviously, especially during the freezer fight, um, the, the actual style of the hair, of the Super Saiyan hair, actually kept changing. Uh, from different scene to animation scene. directors and overseers would favor. Oh, we're gonna make this more sort of like puffy. We're gonna make this more dynamic. So, especially in Freezer, which is the height of Dragon Ball, just saying shit. What the fuck do we do? Fuck, 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 fuck. Throw in a flashback. That is completely understandable. That they would bounce between Studio Last House, Studio Junio, Studio Live. Like any anyone who was like, can you make a scene out of this this picture of Goku's thumb? And we should we go into the flashback stuff now? Oh no 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 no! Let's let's okay. Wait so we'll so we'll go into the flashback stuff later in the anime. But I have a lot to say, especially because I am the person that watched the whole of the original dub, not the Kai dub, like Gabe and Jay did oh, to research for this. Yes, you absolute mad lad. But before we talk about, I'm going to sort of mention something up top. I want to give a lot of credit to the original Dragon Ball, because in these retrospectives, Z often overshadows because yes. it's the more iconic thing in English-speaking countries, but I want to give plenty of props and moments and reminiscing to the original Dragon Ball manga and anime, because there's plenty of love, and it's kind of heartbreaking to imagine that so many Dragon Ball fans have not experienced the original. This is how I feel, because as much as I love Z, I, I would say that OG Dragon Ball is my favorite part of the entire franchise. It is a more consistently written. Yes, but <laughs> it's not just that. It's those early, especially in the early arcs, like the Hunt for the Dragon Balls of Emperor Pilaf, the Red Ribbon arc, the first three martial arts tournaments, they're all just 
really filled with the sense of adventure, adventure and fun. Whimsy. Yes, it's an adventure story. Dragon, like Z transforms into more of a, oh, this is an ongoing like, Z drama. Z is definitively battle shown. Yes. Original Dragon Ball still has that energy of adventure. Yes, it, jump, it jumps around with so much of it. It's like, hey, Goku's going on an adventure. Oh, Goku's training, so we're having some slice of life. Oh, he's in a tournament, so not it's a battle manga. It just jumps between so many different <laughs> styles, but yeah, it has its own special, unique identity that separates it from what it eventually becomes. Yes. Which actually kind of... It, if I'm to come back, it actually, um, to be honest, it actually gives the uh, credit to both the animation staff and to be honest, because uh, I believe Toriyama also had a hand in this, but credit to all the people who turned around and said, actually, you know what? This last arc of Dragon Ball, give it a separate designation, Dragon Ball Z, because we are changing the tone and good on them all for acknowledging and like agreeing that because Dragon Ball Z very much does have an entirely different tone. And it's, it's kind of evident pretty much from that first episode, from the word go, oh, this is different. This is not Something the same as it was. do not consider to be a big iconic moment, but Japan does, is literally Raditz flying down to Earth and telling you, hi, uh, hi Goku, yeah, you're an alien and you've always been an alien. Japan is like, what? That's a big deal, yeah. but because Z aired first, we think of it as like a, a no-brainer. Yeah. It's just a part of the show, but it's not necessarily the twist that it would have been in its original form, which again comes back to the fact that there is no definitive way to experience Dragon Ball. Just watch wherever you want. Eh. Well, hang on, hang on. Because, <laughs> like... We'll not get into it now. This is more part two kind of discussion, but... I'm just going to drop this little nugget now. I think it might be wrong to start with GT and only watch GT. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that point. That's fair. GT will have its day in the sun or the moon, depending on how much I get through it and or decide to cover. So I'm going to throw out some key names. So the first one is a big one. I mean, aside from Akira Toriyama, the main mad lad himself, as much as we may criticize him for his memory loss for his sort of lack of character usage, for his many flaws, the man is the definitive shonen mangaka in my yes. eyes. As much as, you know, you have your Fist of the North Stars, you have your Saint Seiya's, Toriyama kind of nailed that sense of action martial arts choreography, and the fact that he came from a gag manga yep. background is so impressive. As someone who sort of flip-flap between the anime and the manga, Toriyama is a fucking grade-A draftsman. If there's one thing that never dropped, it was his artistic ability and ability to construct panel flow like I've never seen in comics before. He is a master of his craft, and I will never knock his artistic ability ever in my life. And, and that, like, and putting that into perspective, like, most fantastic so an average yeah. fantastic mangaka will drop off and the best of the best almost all did um i'm struggling to think of any yeah. of the mangaka who from your kentaro moros from your yoshiro tagashis from your fucking who did vagabond Takehiko in a way. Yeah, like everyone either has a point where they switch to monthly, they sort of have to take hiatus, or they fucking die. Yes. Um, I think <clears throat> is the only exception Oda or not? Uh, Oda's like, still going. You've also got Araki. Araki yeah, is yeah, but Ara no. remember, Araki, I mean, we're gonna go back to Dragon Ball very soon, but we're talking about Shonen Mangaka that were like either contemporaries to Toriyama or inspired by him. Like Oda is probably the most prime example. Araki switched to a monthly deadline a yes. while ago because he switched White to Shonen Mark. Sunday. Um, 
I'd say like Kishimoto was very clearly very burned out with Naruto using it was very clear that a lot of his assistants that would yeah. go on to draw Baruto were drawing the later arcs you have a lot of sort of like redesigns in the sort of Great Ninja it's War arc clear, Kubo clear the, was like, very clearly an example of someone who dropped off the face yeah. of the earth and poor Togashi was having back problems in like the chapter Black Saga of Yu Yu Hakusho so his art has sadly probably suffered the most because of Shonen Jump's need to constantly shit out manga and eat yeah. up creative talent yeah so literally maybe only Oda is the only person whose uh, whose artist whose art hasn't suffered because of um due to the deadlines whilst also maintaining that creative pace and to be honest with you if we're being if we're being charitable charitable um if we're being very charitable Oda's a good artist, but yeah. that's not it, that is not the reason why anyone reads one no. piece. Yeah. The exact same thing can be said with Dragon Ball. Yeah. Everywhere. It is a combination of fun story. Because Dragon Ball is the perfect story that from moment to moment is like, yes, this works. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I love this. And if you think about it for five minutes, like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they just do this instead? Dragon Ball is the ultimate example of the famous nerd argument of why didn't they use the eagles in Lord of the Rings? That's every saga of Dragon Ball. Yeah, but like, but it doesn't matter in the moment because you're having too much fun. But that's but that's what good stories do. Yes, uh, they make you forget about the stupid plot holes. They make you, uh, or at least just be like, you know what? I don't even care that it's a plot hole. This is tons of fun. Fuck it. Like, let's keep going. But that's kind of what I was getting at with the whole um, Oda comparison because Oda's art hasn't ever peaked or who's been as influential as. Dragon Ball Z was, whereas I, um, whereas as Dragon Ball Z's art designs like literally changed, changed the face yeah. of Shonen. Yeah, like all of those big free mangaka we talked about, and even Yoshiro Tagashi, who was also a contemporary, yeah. were clearly influenced by Toriyama's more angular style. Like if you look at the shift in Shonen manga, even specifically just within Jump, yeah, pre. Dragon Ball, you've got your gag mangas such as Dr. Hump, yeah. which Toriyama drew. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm still running with it. Wonderful. But then most of the Yellow Shonen heroes of the time are characters like Kenshiro from Fist of the North Star. Yeah. You've got things like City Hunter. Saint Seiya. Saint Seiya. You put, Saint Seiya is a little bit different because well, Saint Seiya is more slim. Saint Seiya because if you love Dragon Ball, fucking watch Saint Seiya. Saint Seiya is a little bit different because they still have that quite slim art style. Yes. But early Jojo arcs as well. With mm, the, it's, it's, the, it's the very big buff man. Yes. And it's all very serious. And, you know, they're weirdly adult stories for things that are running in a kid's comic. Well, remember that Shonen men kind of... I mean, here's the thing. Shonen despite literally being young, young boy in Japanese, has always, always historically had a universal appeal because they're basically action drama stories, be they about monkey boy fighting or edgy teenagers writing down essentially curse books in their journal or about fucking the, the game, game Go. go. <laughs> Shout out to all seven Hikaru no Go fans that exist in the world. Hi, Max. Love you. Anyway... I think I'm just going to read out some key staff right now because I think I want to give credit to these absolute legends that gave us some of the most iconic pieces of Dragon Ball. So the first one on the list is uh, Kazuyuki Torishima. Like, I don't need to introduce him. He's Toriyama's editor. He discovered him. He's probably most famous for being like, 
That old man and that fat clown aren't good villains. Make a weird bug man that's strangely handsome and a bit racist in his second form. Yes, Torishima is hugely <laughs> influential in Toriyama. Just from A, getting him to fucking draw something. Yes. And B, in the creation of Dragon Ball. Yes, Tori- uh, Torishima rather was very heavily involved with the anime adaptation. He was yeah. kind of col- collaborated with people like Kozo Morishita to kind of sort of reboot it softly with Dragon Ball Z. Uh, speaking of, um, Kozo Morishita isn't someone who directed much Dragon Ball, but he was a producer on Dragon Ball that kind of was brought in to revamp the series. He was brought in to sort of... Uh, Toriyama and Torishima were very unsatisfied with the, how the Dragon Ball anime was adapting the more dramatic arcs of the Dragon Ball manga. Uh, I think this was around about the time of the King, Pink, King Piccolo yeah, saga and the not. 23rd Tenkaichi Budokai, yeah. so the final tournament. And so the reason why Kozo Morishita is important is he is the person who directed the first 70 episodes of Saint Seiya. Now, Saint Seiya is extremely important shonen anime and manga in Japan. It's basically about um, these knights of the Zodiac star signs who fight in sort of arena tournaments using powerful garments known as cloths, using various sort of shonen battle magic. And it kind of, it is kind of the proto Dragon Ball Z specifically in regards to powerful punches, sort of bloody violence. And I've watched about 10 episodes of Saint Seiya now, and it is. You would want this guy on your payroll if you were going to try and make a modern drama action shonen anime. Because my god, just seeing the way that Saint Seiya is animated, the way that it's cut, the way that it has like rapid punches and kicks, it is. I think fans of Dragon Ball would really dig it. But also, they brought over Takao Koyama, who is a scriptwriter. Now, I don't think it's touched on nearly as much as it should be people who adapt manga to anime are the unsung fucking heroes of the industry fucking are because they get no credit or thanks for the work they do yet in a lot of ways because a lot of anime end up becoming so much more influential than the original manga they have a big say in it (laughs) and this is particularly the case for dragon ball z so yeah takao uh takao koyama basically he wrote most of the Dragon Ball films. He is the creator of characters like Broly and Cooler. And I have a key quote here. And essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, where essentially when he was working at Toei Animation, because animators would literally be cutting out issues of Shonen Jump to draw them and to reference, he was sort of pulled aside and they said, uh, Koyama-san, can you write a story using just this panel? And this panel was just a picture of Goku. It was just a generic, just illustration, and he had to make an episode using this. And can I ask what what um what arc this was in? I have no context for this, but I would imagine this was Dragon Ball Z. So I'd imagine this was probably like late Saiyan, early Freezer. So <clears throat> Koyama would often just kind of insert a lot of flashbacks, a lot of cuts to other characters, stuff that would become inherent tropes because Toriyama would be pushing out 14 pages a week, and that ain't enough to make 22 minutes of animation, baby. So this man is responsible for a lot of key episodes, a lot of key filler. He also wrote on Gundam Wing. Like, he's a very sort of renowned anime adaptive scriptwriter, and I just have here in capital letters, I do not envy this man's job, because it sounds like hell. But yeah, now we're going to sort of cover on some people who actually animated this. 
because you know animators are paid like garbage and don't get a lot of credit sometimes we should pay for your anime and give them some money you know just 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 maybe to be fair toei animation has done a phenomenal job of actually being one of the few animation studios that has a union yeah, they, which is desperately needed in this have a union they have like staff who are salaried yes. they pay they pay it, like quite well it's pretty bad when there are literal like charities and homeless centers yeah. like set up in japan to house those animators because they can't afford yes, rent yeah. or food on it's, their salary. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely. If you don't know much about this, the long and short of it is because most animators are sort of either paid by drawing or paid by drawing completed per time scale. They are paid way lower than, say, American or European animators were. It's an incredibly unfair system. And Japan has kind of been sorting, wading through this sort of cesspool of labor violations for decades and that's only just beginning to look up so talking about some of these heroes uh i'm gonna bring up some i can't bring up everyone but a couple of names i have here is uh naoto shishida is a veteran action animator who has contributed to every sort of memorable action scene from goku versus krillin like piccolo versus goku like the saiyan saga fight you know margin vegeta like a lot of just key shots, like even Super. This guy has just been on Toei Animation's pay docket for decades, and he's pumped out some really, really dynamic fights. Uh, more recently, he kind of redesigned the characters for the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie. There was more sort of like anime, pardon me, a manga accurate. There were more sort of cartoony. Yeah, they're more streamlined. They're yeah, like the really anime. Nicely. So, congrats on him. Uh, Tadayoshi Yamamoro is a was a chief director of both dragon ball super and battle of gods but he also was just a great action animator he animated the janemba fight in uh sort of fusion reborn he animated a lot of key scenes in laser z so a lot of his sort of more sort of bulky sort of liney style is very reminiscent of the cell saga and the boo saga and a lot of his touches really sort of shaped how that anime looked and the big boy himself someone we will touch on a lot in part two is uh katsuyoshi nakatsuru who is a legendary anime supervisor and character designer he was instrumental in the design of he basically designed bardock with some help of toriyama and who became so canon toriyama drew him in the manga yep. like that Fantastic. alone would be great but he also was the animation lead for the entirety of the frieza saga meaning that style of the anime was very down to a lot of his his key revisions see essentially animation sort of leads kind of sort of correct uh drawings from other animators in their sort of style yeah they so, sort of act like the overseers yes. to guide people and make sure that everything's kind of following the same big style yeah, as so far as possible have, uh, that's why dragon ball z looks so different because well dragon well actually no it is more z than ball but you have different people who like different elements of toriyama style to add their own sort of unique flair and it's actually really interesting yeah. to go through and we're not going to touch on this because it's not z or ball but nakatsuru single-handedly designed super saiyan 4 and that puts him to me in like the legendary god tier status because he made the one good thing from GT. <laughs> I thought you. I thought. What about. What about the pants? 
He designed those pants. It was the 90s, we can forgive him. So the last person I'm going to touch on before you just go into general what we love about this, what Dragon Ball means to us, is someone I didn't think I was going to cover, but someone who's super duper important. Because when we think of Dragon Ball, we also think of sound effects, like the Kamehameha. <laughs> As someone who has been playing through a significant recent Dragon Ball game, which we will discuss in the next part, part of that is, part of the enjoyment of playing it is hearing those sound effects and feeling those yeah. sound effects. Dragon Ball has some of the best sound libraries next to like Mobile Suit Gundam yeah. and like- From the like the power-up sound, from the sound of a key blast, from the sound of the Kamehameha, it, it's just all so ingrained in the feeling of that show that you kind of can't remove yeah. it from it. Who was the sound designer? It's this bloke called uh, Hidonori Arai, and he's the main sound effects designer for like Dr. Slump, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT. He, in my mind, is one of the most unsung heroes of the entire franchise because he made everything from the, Kam the Kamehameha sound effect to, you know, a the key blast and I have a really interesting well, I don't believe you. How was he so good? What was the most unique sound he made for Dragon Ball then? <laughs> oh, we definitely didn't rehearse this because it's rolling so naturally off the tongue. <laughs> okay, so I have to gush about this. I know I've been talking for a long while. I will give you people the floor back, but the Super Saiyan aura sound, you know, the ving, ving, ving. That is the sound of a baby's heartbeat when it's in its mother's womb, just sort of modulated. And that's so cool. It is a genius idea and it fits the feeling of that emotion that you get when you watch that scene so it, it's just any time a Super Saiyan transformation happens, that's the sound, and it really works. Like it, it, it just speaks to the man's intuitive abilities, his inspiration, his creativity. Like that was phenomenal for him to hear that heartbeat, and for him to be able to say, "You know what? I can turn that into an aura sound," and it worked so well that I don't I can't think of a single crackling wouldn't have been as good I can't think of a single sound although maybe I just don't possess the imagination he does to to be able to construct a, a sound that good it's great so I'm gonna switch up my motes here um, I'm originally I was gonna transition into talking about Dragon Ball's music, because I imagine we all have a lot of opinions on various Dragon Ball sort of musical tracks. But before we do that, I'm going to get let you two have the stage, because I've talked, talked my tongue off a little too much. When you two think of Dragon Ball, what, what are your initial, what, what are you, what's the first thing you latch onto? What's the first thing that you think, this, this means Dragon Ball to me, this is when I think of Dragon Ball, that's the first image or scene or moment that just comes to your mind. What do you love about this dumb monkey boy anime? I think there's two for me. <laughs> one comes from OG Dragon Ball, one comes from Z. The Z one is that shot of Goku and Vegeta standing on the pillars in the desert in their battle stances. That is like the pinnacle moment of that entire franchise for me. Like, just the art style especially is just, it encapsulates all of it because it's still got that lovely soft roundness mm. 
from the older Dragon Ball style. But yeah, you can see that it's starting to transition into something a bit harsher and a bit rougher. And it's just, oh, it's just gorgeous. It's still in my mind. And sorry, I wanted to find out what yeah. the second half, uh, what the second part was. What's the other moment? That whole first chapter, like those full first instances of Goku meeting Bulma and then just riding off together. That whole sequence, that like first episode, those first couple of chapters, that just encapsulated Dragon Ball perfectly to me as well, because it's just that tiny little spark. It's like, you, you, they talk about it a couple of times in the show, but it's like, you think about it, Bulma hadn't driven up there, none, none of the show would have happened. Raditz, Raditz would have shown up the earth for years later and blown yeah, the whole Yeah, thing originally Toriyama was going to end it at the Bulma arc, she was just going to hit him with a car and drive off. Yeah. <laughs> it was just going to be a one-shot originally, but then Toriyama was like, no, you have to turn this into a series. <laughs> that boy can punch a log in two? You gotta continue this, my boy! <laughs> Think of all the yen we're gonna make. What if he was a big monkey and turned blonde? Write that shit down. Uh, this, I think, gives like a, quite a good idea of what my feelings on Dragon Ball are. I love the whimsy. I love the fantasy of it and the, the mystic adventure, as they call it. It's just... I don't know, what can I say? We've been talking about it for an hour and I can talk about it for zero hours. That, that, that impression was like... Stan Lee was Japanese. Well, like that was amazing. Yes, saying, a lot of Shonen Jump editors are literally like that in interviews. Yeah, yeah. they're red. Yeah, um, I guess um, it's gonna sound so dumb. Come on, oh. this is Dragon Ball. That's the point, man. There's nothing. There's nothing too dumb for this show. Think about how we started this, how you discovered this, rediscovered this. <laughs> Nothing could possibly be more left of field. The two of you were left in stunned silence yes. Uh, yes. To, at that at that revelation. You didn't you didn't laugh. You went, "Oh my god, he's actually serious." That was your thing. Okay, so when I think Dragon Ball, I think one that very shitty, shitty, shitty card game. Really. Really? That's, That's your, your initial. There are multiple things because they had an informational on the back of like a print, like a like it would have stills from the show, but it wouldn't have any context for them. And on the back, there would be context, like a little plot piece, yeah. like oh, this is what happened during this scene. Except half the time, they'd be wrong. <laughs> so- <laughs> okay, so now, now I'm fascinated. Give me an example. I desperately want to know. Um, so Krillin saw his best friend Yamcha be blown up by a plant man and did it actually say plant man it said plant that's man that's fucking amazing they're not, they're not wrong no they're really not they're not but, but like at the same time like really Krillin's best friend is also Yamcha what really are we gonna go down that road and then the plant man and then and then it talks about how Krillin then loses the plot uh, because it's his best friend just like no there was context. There was there was a lot more context to that scene that actually Jamcha took his place during the fight yes. because Krillin had already been resurrected. And he was like, just in case you die. Like there were a lot more. And that's why Krillin got angry. It wasn't just that they were friends. It was that he was a friend who took a bullet. And it was like, oh. Piggybacking off of this, there that's why when because we make fun of Dragon Ball a lot. Oh, we do. We love to. And but I think that there are emotion, there is emotional nuance, and there is sort of triumphant character moments and there are points where Toriyama I, I here's the thing I'm very guilty on ragging on Akira Toriyama's storytelling ability I will be full on hands up say I've been very overcritical of the man in my career as a snarky anime fan however 
re-experiencing this in the right mood, a lot of this stuff still gets you. Like my comfy place of Dragon Ball is like 23rd Word Martial Arts Tournament to Saiyan Saga. That is perfect shonen, in my opinion. A I lot agree. of those moments really is. As much as we meme on like the Yamcha fight, that's a major character being killed off by like a a new enemy. Because remember, at this point, Raditz was a threat. And he just, like, in that short amount of time, the Z fighters have now eclipsed this alien man who came and fucking decked the world martial arts champion before killing him and kidnapping his child. And yeah, then he suddenly so- killed off unceremoniously. Like Yamcha, one of the first characters ever introduced. That's fucking great storytelling. That is a very like, good story All these fighters, like Ten Shinhan, Piccolo, that were established to be fierce fighters in their own right are just cut down and they didn't originally because here's the thing there's a lot of sort of rumors like Toriyama was supposed to end this arc most of which are bullshit if you if you if your dad was like look I know a guy who works at Japan and he's like Toriyama was supposed to end the garlic arc you're wrong it's like, if you know anything about Toriyama, you would know that he had didn't would not have that much sense to plan that far ahead. And if he did, he's probably forgotten it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, so that's one of the things that jumps to my mind. Uh, those, co- the stupid card games and like all the, bri- and then that leads me in to the other thing that reminds me of, uh, the, the other thing that I think of when I think of Dragon Ball, which is those moments. Those, those fucking moments. Those moments where everything melts away because Dragon Ball, as we have already described, has been both in anime and manga. It can be spotty, especially the Z. Dragon Ball, the manga was actually fairly consistent, but Z, Z had serious spotty quality issues. From character writing to plot points, as Z went on, it was very clear that Toriyama was still having fun, but you can definitely feel a lot of his exhaustion in parts of the Cell Saga, and especially in the Boo Saga. Exactly. And me revisiting the old dub, and also reminding myself of all these old moments, those moments, those peak moments, those absolute joys they just they they feel they make the hairs on my uh, on the back of my spine euphoria re-experiencing it's uh the first super saiyan transformation the third super saiyan transformation oh my god um the moment where goku doesn't just quite have enough energy to defeat majin buu and then just a little bit more energy from Paranga, and then all of a sudden, it's just enough just to push him over the edge. And I, yes! Oh, thank God, it's done! Ah, uh, and obviously, the, uh, as Gabe already mentioned, the fight. The fight between Vegeta and oh, Goku. Yes. In my mind, it is still one. I mean, here's the thing. I'll talk about my favorite moments in a little bit, because I have quite a few. But that might still be the best fight in, in the entire series. It's up that there. Was, uh, oh god, I completely forgot about the fact that not only did the spirit bomb fail yes. in that one, but the spirit bomb failed with Frieza as well. And then when Frieza came back after the spirit bomb, it there was, was so, so many. Toriyama is a master of tension. Oh my god, there were so many of those like, 
holy shit moments. When, when this came to America, when this came over here, it is like it is a serialized cartoon. It rewarded children for sticking around for the next episode. Yeah, it really did. I, I, I credit to it. It was so fucking good. It was amazing. Uh, but those those peaks. Um, honestly, I, I, I looking back at it and just, like all that. Honestly, it was like being. It was like being addicted to crack. Okay. Not the because, metaphor I would have used, but please continue. Because, like, you're suffering. You're <laughs> suffering yeah. through so, so much. Yeah. And then you get that high. And that's, that's enough. That's enough for so long. It's enough to keep you going for another 10 filler episodes until they finally fired our Kamehameha. Yes. Unironically, yes. <laughs> Do you know? I know. All right, all right. I, I literally did the timing. Okay. okay. So we, we, we've come to this. Vic is very passionate about a certain scene in the middle of the freezer saga of Dragon Ball Z. I'm going to give you the floor for five minutes, my dude. Lay it on us. Okay. I'm not even going to go straight to that. I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a minute. All right. First, I'm going to give some honorable mentions. They're like two to three episodes that Gohan is firing his fucking Kamehameha with one arm at cell for like three episodes. It's like, motherfuckers going. Um, fuck me. Uh, I thought you were out. And it's like, he kept going. Um, also, Goku and Vegeta were looking at each other on those plateaus that Gabe was so fond of for 10 minutes. There was nothing going on. It was 10 literal minutes in the original dub. You were just sat there and they were going reaction shot, reaction shot, reaction shot to the reaction shot, reaction shot to the reaction shot of the reaction shot. Then Goku says something, reaction shot to that, then reaction shot to that, then reaction shot of the reaction shot, then Vegeta replies. Pies, then reaction shot, then landscape shot, then horizon shot, and you're like, motherfucker, I'm done. Please fight, fight, fight. And then now we're moving in to the freezer saga, which is by far the worst. Okay, these flashbacks are fucking everywhere. Even when I was like seven, I could recognize, wait, they're just using the same scene over and over again. And I'm blind to that shit now. I don't notice it in anime now. And I could notice it when I was seven. That how bad it was. Oh my God, the fucking, the fight, the fight was too long. And th th this is what Jay was alluding to earlier, right? Fuck me, okay? <laughs> Goku gives energy to Frieza. In the original dub, Goku gives that energy to Frieza and is and starts to fly away. The time between Goku giving Frieza the energy and Frieza throwing an energy disc at Goku was literally 18 minutes! <laughs> Not including the intro! Oh, and by the way, the the fucking rewind things that they do at the start of every episode is, is usually two minutes long. How? Why? I oh my god, it's literally like it can vary between thirty seconds and two minutes long. I blew my fucking mind. Um, and the fact that the fact that it took him twenty minutes. And do you know what the twenty minutes was? It was just flashbacks the whole fucking time. It just decided, you know what? You haven't seen all the episodes. So let me 
just show you an abridged version of all the episodes right now. And I was like, motherfuckers are doing flashback episodes on flashback episodes. What the fuck is going on? Oh, God. It actually blew me away. And it's like... I'm going to have so much fun editing this. The the whole, the whole fucking show. I don't think you need to edit anything, man. And you know what? You know what the worst part was? During the Freezer saga. I think it was just turned into the, the anime Joe Rogan podcast just for this this five minutes. Logalize is very fun to watch. No, you don't you don't understand, okay? During the at some point during the Freezer saga, I weirdly started to like it. I weirdly started to like the 40 fucking reaction shots to every fucking drop of rock that happened that happened to occur. I just, oh, fuck. Like, it was weird. I was actually vibing with it. Oh, my God. I, I just, I don't know. Like, I I loved it. I loved the experience. So, in summary, everything takes so fucking long. However, it does benefit it in certain ways that I want to give it credit for. So, for example, the Cell fight feels so much fuller between Goku and Cell. Um, and the freezer fight up until they've thrown the spirit bomb feels like the end of the fight because it's actually been for an appropriate length of time. Um, so it actually feels like, ah, shit, it's over now. Uh, so it gives it a lot more of a punch when Freezer comes back <laughs> after the spirit bomb because then you feel like, oh, shit, what the fuck? How the hell did Freezer survive this? So, like, don't get me wrong. It adds suspense and tension and it builds just a little too much. Um, and like, they just like molest the flashback button. Um, like it's so, it's so fucking, yeah, I, I like, I literally going to have to bring you down from this man. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so, so stupid. Reins. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. It's fine. I had my moment. I just, Wow! I've been holding on to that for 25 years. I must say, before Jay continues, that was very entertaining to watch. <laughs> like you, you people over the airwaves. This was, this was better than any Alex Jones rant you oh, could yeah. find on the internet. That was a good time. <laughs> if, if, oh, if, if, if every Joe Rogan podcast was him just screaming about Dragon Ball Z, I would happily listen to all of them. Anyway, continue, good sir. Oh, boy. What, what, what are your most defining moments? Well, in here's the thing. You'll get back to me. Because talking about all these iconic moments has got me thinking about something I want to circle back to. A pretty fight, uh, an epic stare down. It ain't nothing without the music accompanying it. Oh, and Dragon right. Ball has a lot of legendary tracks to it. And in regards to sound and music, I want to bring attention to our various opinions on Dragon Ball's various musical scores, but not before bringing attention to the fact that we as a fandom, we've been very unlucky in the past couple of years. We have lost two absolute legends of the fandom. First up, Shinsuke Kikuchi, the original composer of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, passed away. He is... He made so many iconic tracks that Dragon Ball could not do without. And second of all, the English fandom took a heavy heart earlier this year when Christopher Ayres passed away after a long, long battle with cancer. And I want to give tribute to these wonderful men who, in equal ways, paid tribute to Dragon Ball. And give their creative energies (laughs) to this beautiful, silly show. So with Kikichi, first of all, I think a lot of Japanese fans have an undying respect because they never had anything different 
And there's a sort of lot of dissonance because when we'll get to Falconer, trust me, we will get to old Brucey boy. But Kikuchi just has a this sense of timelessness. Like I'm gonna play a few tracks that I've sort of I have here. Just to sort of the and, and what I feel they represent with Dragon Ball. So first up is what I think might be one of the greatest accomplishments shown in the instrumental version of Mystical Adventure. And this is perfect. Listen, that I've just got this big goofy grin exactly. on my face. Every time it happens in an action scene when Goku smiles and dashes towards an opponent, every yes. time this track plays, I actively cheer like a dumb kid. I, just fist I, I pumping. Big dumb kid whenever this song comes on. Anytime in Dragon Ball. It makes me think of like, as much as Dragon Ball is the adventure, a lot of my memories with the original Dragon Ball are attached to the Tenkaichi Budokais, the tournament arcs. The 21st, 22nd, and 23rd are... I'm very oh, fond of them. Fantastic stories. They are some of the best tournament arcs in Shonen Jump period, yeah. from like stuff like Jackie Chun's eternal lesson of there's always someone stronger, the dramatic Ten Shinhan versus Goku fight, Goku versus Piccolo Jr., probably taking the second place in my heart for the best fight in the entire series. To piggyback off of that a little bit, in some ways, the tournament arcs in Dragon Ball really heavily contributed to the prevalence of tournament arcs in a lot of battle oh, yeah, shows. Dragon Ball and Saint Seiya absolutely yeah. laid the path for Prior the to those fight. two, mm. most tournament arcs were sports manga. Yeah. It was because sports obviously lends itself very easily to that and adapting that to a battle manga. Yeah. Stroke of fucking genius. So moving on to Dragon Ball Z, there are some really, really fucking bopping compositions that I think when we will discuss language, because that's very important, but people who prefer Dragon Ball Z in Japanese, one of the biggest scenes they will point to in their favor is this scene. And I absolutely cannot blame them. This is a track called Battle Point Unlimited, and it's the theme. It's basically Future Trunks' theme when he cuts Freezer in half, and it's bloody brilliant. Just like this dissonant guitar and sort of like the, the synth in the background is honestly really well used. And it's, I cannot think of a better version of the scene than in the original Japanese. I think Battle Point Unlimited is a really unique composition and it's a little bit plagiarized here and there. And trust me, we will get to that issue soon, ladies and gentlemen. But it's a song I really, really like. And the second argument for the Japanese score is fucking Ume no Hi. Uh, Tamashi, uh, Tai Tamashi.
scene dubbed, you have not watched the scene in my humble opinion. This is the definitive Super Saiyan 2 transformation theme. I love it dearly. And I think this is this is probably the biggest defense of Kikiji's score. It is bloody fantastic. And if you've never heard it before, honestly go back and listen to a couple of tracks here and there. Because it's even the background music, it's he was an absolute legend who contributed so much undying legacy to Dragon Ball. Absolutely. And so now the the uh, the synth-shaped elephant in the room. Okay, so Vic, you consumed the most funny dubbed Dragon Ball here. Yes. What the hell was that experience like? Um because it oscillates because it was recorded at different points in time. Oh uh, god. So the problem is is that the sound design itself wasn't great especially in the beginning. No. Actually no, no no no. In the beginning it was okay. It was freezer arc, it was shaky. Well, you've got to remember that they redid the Saiyan arc once they've managed to redo it. Like the mid Saiyan arc when they because, you know, shout out to the OGs who were watching this on like Fox Kids and watch the same 42 episodes over and over again because they ran out of syndication rights. Um, I'm not going to go super into the history of this, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that like Funimation, especially in the modern fandom, they get a lot of shit for what they did with Dragon Ball. And especially from like the hardcore Japanese read all the forums fans. Now, in their defense, this was an extremely amateur production that did not have the time or resources to do this properly. They would be given a barely translated script, be like, the hell's a Kaioken? Oh, this has got to be on Cartoon Network uh, yesterday. Fuck it, Mondo Cool, I guess. <laughs> If any of you are wondering, Jay is not joking. That is an actual line in one of the original Saiyan sagas. Yeah, Mondo Cool. That's right, humans. Mondo Cool. God bless you, Chris Sabat, you fucking legend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's. Um, yeah. And there are points where Bruce Falconer's score is unusual to. I'm going to go with the word discordant. It's because the Japanese situation. children's cartoons and just anime in general were way more comfortable with having silence. Yes. American cartoons definitively weren't, so Falconer Studios were contracted to make a soundtrack for two reasons. One is the affirmation, and two is so they could sell soundtrack CDs that they didn't have to pay Toei for. Yeah. Um, however... This is where I'm going to run defense for Falconer because I do love, because okay. I definitely have a soft spot for it. Okay, so for, for, here's the thing. I, I think it's safe to say that through all my dissonant research, feel free to challenge me. I'm probably the biggest Dragon Ball guy in this room now, thanks to my fucking months of hell on Kaizenshu forums and memorize. Yes. yes. I know a yes. lot of shit about this dumb monkey anime fighting. And I think I've probably been the most vocal critic of Falconer. I do not hate his compositions. I just really don't think they work for Dragon Ball. I, to a certain extent, understand where you're coming from. I just, I don't, in, I just think they can in a certain context. I just don't think they're uh, always matching the scene as well as they could do. Like, I think at their worst, it's butt synth. It's just obnoxious bot synth that drowns out the character dialogue and does not fit. But I wouldn't blame Falconer for that unless he was the one that literally... Well, no, no, no. It's more sort of like the general sort of attitude towards 
what anime sound design needed to be in the early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, actually, that is something we do have to acknowledge. Um, or at least I have to acknowledge. Uh, in the original dub, they just fucking screwed up some of the sound levels in some of the... Yeah, like I said, this was an in-house production from Cartoon Network and Funimation that was really working uh, string and bubblegum in regards to holding it together. It is honestly a miracle we got a product as good as we did, and we will get to how like the team at Okatron really kind of just slowly and surely evolved to the point of which I can definitively say the modern Dragon Ball dubs are phenomenal and have been for about a decade at this point. Yeah, I, I, there are more than a few episodes I would have turned down the sound just like the music just a bit and I would have turned up the character, the actor's volume, um, which they didn't do. But the thing is, much like the anime, when the Faulkner highs hit it, hit their highs. Oh my god. I know exactly what you're referring to, and I'm just getting it up for us now, because if there's one track that accentuates Falconer's ability to make every 12-year-old on planet Earth say fuck yes, it is this. This entire scene gives me goosebumps. Memorized. The entire scene will just set you absolutely wrong. I'm getting goosebumps just from the soundtrack. Dragon Ball, you're like, damn, okay. And the thing is, as as completely like odd the visuals are, they they just because of how amazing everything else. I don't even like Super Saiyan Free that much as as a transformation, but that's one of my favorite moments in Dragon Ball, just because of the emotional, like as I was mentioning before with Battle Point Unlimited, with the trunk scene being better in Japanese, this is definitively better in the funny English dub. Like nothing matches this level of like early 2000s intensity i will always watch this clip in the original toonami simplification i absolutely adore it yeah it's just like it's 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 absolutely amazing i have a smile on my face right now just 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 and that's the power of dragon ball making us all children again absolutely good oh see now now we're in the good kind of ranting is it (laughs) this is this is this is what we want but no I mean, here's the thing. I think whilst you were out of the room, Gabe, we were yes. talking about the various ups and downs of, you know, the the Falcon score, what funny is done with the product and stuff like that. But I think we're kind of moving on to, I think, something we're all incredibly fond of. I think all of us are in, have an incredible soft spot. And if we were to sort of recommend Dragon Ball for you, all of us, I think, unless I'm wrong, would unanimously recommend Dragon Ball Kai. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Vic? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, so here's the thing. I, 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 I love the dub. I've watched the original dub multiple times before. This is the first time I've watched it in a few years. Um, but I still got through it in about a month and a half, just doing it casually between like work and life. Um, 
and I st- and I at first was very critical of it because I thought it was too slow. And as you heard in my rant earlier, I still agree it's probably too slow. To be fair, you know, there's only so much you can do when you actually have a 291 episode animated series to actually dub. So you know, you've got to, regardless of the changes they made of your Mondo Cools and your, I can see his parachutes. You've kind of just got to give some leeway to the fact that the source material is that, regardless. Yeah, exactly. And the even considering that, though, I think that the show, and this was something that I alluded to a little bit before, is shockingly well placed. In terms of the original anime, there was a pace to it, which once you got into it, was actually surprisingly enjoyable. Because as much as I joked about it before, and they definitely overdid it, there were too many reaction shots. They did do things. Hey, they had a reaction shot for every fucking thing. And they'd reuse anime scenes over and over again. There was an odd context that helped with each of those things. It added context and still kept in the side characters while everything was going on. And it also meant that the tension and suspense of scenes, when it was done well, really hit the mark. So the tension with Freezer, the tensions uh, with Cell, the strain of the fight between Cell and Goku. Because of the extra length, that pacing, it actually gave a lot more weight and depth to the uh, to every fight, every the things that were going on. Because it wasn't just a slog for Goku and whoever Goku was fighting, but it was kind of a slog for you as well. Which, which So you're I- saying that for the pain you have vicariously experienced through Schadenfreude of seeing this anime drag its fucking ass, it is ironically made it even more compelling. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's an odd sh- a schadenfreude. Think of it like the Dark Souls of, of gaming. Jesus oh Christ, you've done, done it. it. You've fucking done it. Like, the, it inflicts pain on you, but it does it because... Because it, it loves you. Yeah, and that that's what it that's what it ends up being. The Dark Souls of anime just... Okay, I'm getting us back the fuck on track right now. This is my point as well, to shill and encourage people to watch OG Dragon Ball as well. OG Dragon Ball, 153 episodes, it's very well paced, there is filler. There is the manga also, which will get you through it faster and do just as good a job. Yes, but the filler in OG Dragon Ball, it fits in very well because it's about Goku going off to have an adventures. And to be honest, there's so much character development in that that gives you so much context and so much emotion. going on adventures. Like, yes. You don't see that kind of believable relationship ever again because Toriyama cannot write people with a uterus. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Look, I'll get on how I think Toriyama is a bit of a shit writer when it comes to women when we talk about Super, but... And he's a shit drawer when it comes to any ethnic minority. Okay, look, I wanted to put this off as much as possible. (sighs) I'm going to talk about the big genie room. All right, Vic, you get your fucking way. Mr. Popo, what do we even fucking say (laughs) at this point? (sighs) Oh, come here, no. It doesn't help that Sabbath's doing a bit of a Jamaican (laughs) voice in the Saga. saga. <laughs> Mr. Popo is a racial caricature who is a product of the time. It's a product of ignorance. And the sad yeah. thing is, it's not like Mr. Popo. Okay, look, the Super Best Friends did a great sketch years ago where they were like, 
Look, he's going to do something so offensive that they're going to have to drop him. It's not like Mr. Popo's like, Mr. Popo, you're the only one who can defeat the, the aliens from the fried chicken planet or, or, or some shit. He's literally just a nice genie man that if yeah. you just removed his lips and made him gray, no one would have an issue. But because he's blacker I, I than the night sky. Don't forget, he only has one tooth. He has the hillbilly one tooth with, for some reason, Arabian fucking style. So he managed to put a mix and match ethnicities from all the different browns over the all over the world. So this doesn't go to 90 minutes. I'm going to get us back on track and why Kai means a lot to me. So Kai was a lot of my rewatch point whilst I bounced between original Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Kai. Kai is honestly a really comfy place for me. It's just very efficient. I really like the cast because at this point, Funimation fucking kills every role. Sean Schemmel is, is a great Goku. Chris Sabat absolutely nailed what his Vegeta is in his comparison to what his Piccolo is, what his Yamcha is. Sunny Straight has always been a great Krillin. I absolutely, and coming back to the legend himself, Christopher Ayers, he is definitively one of the best contributions to English-speaking Dragon Ball because he finally gave us a freezer we had been wanting. Now, no disrespect to Linda Young. The decision to have Frieza being voiced by a woman was already set by the Ocean dub in the 90s. Funimation's hands were tied, and so she gave the best performance she could. She is an amazing voice actress. I love her as Genkai in Yu Yu Hakusho. I love her in various roles, but she was never right for this character. Christopher Ayers, through his malice and through his understanding of, you know, Riese Nakawa's original effeminate yet polite performance gave Frieza a second chance as a villain. Like before Kai, it would be very common in the American fandom for people to say Cell or Superboo were their favorite villains, completely passing over Frieza. Yeah, but by then casting had already happened and like they had a reliable source of actors at this point. Like, for instance, Stephanie Nadolny was Gohan for years before being replaced by Colleen Clinkenbeard, which is honestly something I approve of. I love Nadolny as Kid Goku, but I think that Gohan was a little too raspy, and it's quite funny that I have a little in-joke with some of my friends where original Gohan sounds a bit like Bobby Hill. (laughs) I can't do it, Dad. I'm not strong enough. Oh, no, I actually really like the raspy Gohan. (laughs) It's almost like he has smoker's lung. But, um... I I was um I, it's probably more than more than anything nostalgia, but I I I have an appreciation for Linda Young and old school Gohan, so that's probably what's happening more than anything, um m- more than anything what's happening there. Um, but you're right, Christopher Ayers did a phenomenal job. I hope you're satisfied. Truly, you've successfully dashed my hopes against the craggy shores of your ignorance. <laughs> I'm afraid this won't do. Quite a pill to swallow, eh, Vegeta? Of course, even more so for myself. As a matter of fact, in all my years, I've never been so angry as I am now. (laughs) How incredibly irritating not to have seen the writing on the wall! Now you pay! You will rue the day you cross my path! Prepare yourselves to embrace oblivion! There's a lot to talk about, and 
Oh, we could gush about this for... And we, we will for at least ten more minutes yet, because I in particular, Kai's most controversial and yet most famous addition, Kenji Yamamoto in all of his plagiaristic glory. Ah, now, See, I'm gonna give some context before we talk about this, because... Dear listeners, Kenji Yamamoto was a Dragon Ball composer who was very famous for his work on the video games in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, we'll talk about his contributions to the likes of Final Bout to the Budokai trilogy. And he was selected to be Kikuchi's successor, a big deal. And in 2011, days before Dragon Ball Z Kai was set to finish airing on Toho Tokyo Station, um... That motherfucker was sued for plagiarism by everyone imaginable, and his music was wiped the face off the fucking earth like the final flash itself. Yamamoto stole from everyone from Journey to the Avatar, James Cameron soundtrack. And it is very blatant. That is low, low stooping point. And it's a, it is a shame because a lot of that music... And, and here's the thing. Good. Here's the thing. Yeah, we know now why it was so good. Exactly. But look, I am the biggest Yamamoto apologist. When I was re-watching Dragon Ball Z Kai, I specifically found an edit where some poor bastard on Kaizenshu had put the Yamamoto score back into the English dub. I love it that much. And look, I'm just going to go on record. I know I'm a bastard. I don't care that it was stolen. I'm mad that he got caught. I agree. <laughs> Especially considering my experience of the Dragon Ball Z anime is Kai. I have not watched the original dub. Like, I've seen episodes, I've seen clips, but I haven't watched yes. it all consistently. So, that music is my music. That's my DBZ music. I have no shame. I love in the that. Kai soundtrack. So, like, Dragon Ball might be my favorite opening uh, behind Dandan. But I'm just gonna play one of my favorite tracks, which is the probably the least plagiaristic one. It's definitely Yamamoto's talent and probably yes. not taken from anyone. It's called the Brave Hearts Triumphant Return. And I absolutely adore this track. Yes, they are. This is a track that plays through so many iconic moments from Goku's initial fight with Vegeta to specifically, there is a very key scene I want to talk about that Kai absolutely redeemed. Now, originally in the Funimation dub, there is a very famous scene when Freeze is like, what are you, monkey? And he's like, I am the hope of the universe. And it's a very Superman-esque speech. It's fine and it's nostalgic but it's not the characterization of goku and this song the braveheart's triumphant return is the definitive track in my mind to the i am the legendary super saiyan son goku speech which might be sean shemmel's best performance i'll probably throw it in in the edit you you what are you you haven't figured it out yet I'm the Saiyan who came all the way from Earth for the sole purpose of beating you. I am the warrior you've 
heard of in legends, pure of heart and awakened by fury. That's what I am. It is magnificent, and it's one of the reasons that I cannot watch Kai with the replacement background tracks that they put out. It does not capture the same feel, the same emotion, the same wit. It is the perfect song to encapsulate Goku's character. Yes, it is. A character who I have honestly grown extremely fond of. Goku, through all of his, through all the memes about his poor parenting, all the memes about his lack of intelligence, I love this tenacious monkey fighting boy so goddamn much. Every single, every single fucking time he gets knocked down, he gets back up and he punches. And, and no disrespect to Masako Nozawa. I we have a lot of contentious opinions about like a lot of like you know Japanese performances. I think she's honestly quite good. I I think she sells sells it very yeah. well. Maybe not cast her as every other member of the Son family, but that's another issue. Yes, yeah, that's day. another issue. But Sean Schemmel in Kai specifically, is the Goku I hear whenever I read any dialogue of that character. Oh, of course. There's no way it can't be at this point. So we're kind of coming up towards the end. I'll sort of list off a few more iconic scenes because I didn't quite get to gush as much as I wanted. And then we'll kind of go into the final section of this, which is where does Dragon Ball stand in the modern anime fandom and what are our thoughts now recommending this to someone who has never seen it ever before so i'm just gonna just absolutely machine gun some key iconic moments i absolutely love uh just everything about the 23rd tenkaichi budokai i think that's one of the strongest arcs in dragon ball i absolutely love the kaioken times 20 kamehameha that also uses the track we played that's great um the anime specifically version of the father-son kamehameha because in the manga, it's just Vegeta who fires a stray key blast. But one of my favorite moments of Dragon Ball is when the poor characters who are unfairly kicked to the side in favor of these weird Aryan space monkeys, like, <laughs> like my boys, my boy, uh, the, the the Krillin, Tenshinhan, Yamcha, and Piccolo. Of course, we have two of them here with us. They jump in and they all have little monologues whilst they're firing key attacks at Cell. And it's one of my... F- it's a definitive moment where the anime absolutely supersedes the manga in my mind. There's also this Android 17 versus Piccolo is an incredible fight. It's incredibly underrated in the whole canon. Um, I'm pretty sure the Boo Saga is responsible for my taste in women because I had a head over heels crush in Videl, <laughs> which has led me to date multiple lesbians in my life. So thanks, Toriyama. <laughs> Thank you, Tor- thank, thank you, Toriyama, for ruining Jay's love life. We love you for it, <laughs> and thank you for ruining Aaron Super. You fucking asshole. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that did you mention Vegeta's final flash? It's pretty good. It's it's pretty good. I, I, it's not one of my favorite scenes either, but it's usually something that everyone points it's to. Like it's the final flash is also just another one of Bruce Falconer's rare tracks that really got Dragon Ball right. I could list. We'll probably list off more moments we love in part two but just wrapping this up gentlemen where does dragon ball stand in the modern anime landscape and what can people take away from it i hmm 
People can take away merchandise if they buy it from the right stores. You say Dragon Ball's not very deep, but let me tell you, that money pile Toriyama got with Toei was pretty fucking deep, boy. I think Dragon Ball's in a very interesting space because in a way it's bigger than it ever has been. Like yes. the fan base for it is just so naturally ingrained in the anime community. Even if we make the jokes about the Zoomers yes. not watching the Dragon Balls and blah blah blah, but loads of people have seen it. You go like when I went to, I remember going to see Broly in the cinema. I remember going to see Resurrection F in the cinema. I fucking it was packed. Like not every seat, but it was full. There was lots of people there, and these are in tiny little screens in the middle of fucking England, like. It's huge and it's so influential. So much of modern anime is defined by the Shonen, by the big Shonen Jump series. It always has been. And Dragon Ball's kind of the key to all of that. Dragon Ball's legacy is still very strong and burning brighter than it ever has burnt. I, I'm I'm very conf- Honestly, I don't- Honestly, it's just so confusing where it stands. Because I would have figured it would have- um, dimmed and in some ways it definitely has the it's not it's it's not necessarily as passionate as it used to be it's like you can definitely see like the trajectory of how the series has evolved of the anime ended and then gt and after that there's no real product like dragon ball z stuff for like a good decade other than the video games the video games that keeps it burning Mm -hmm. and then kai gets the rebrot the rebroadcast and then after Kai gets rebroadcast we get super or we start getting the films then we get super and we get the super film there's another film coming yeah and it's now starting to pick up again so it's it's odd because I don't know where to place it and I'm just like it's very cool but it's also very unpredictable so I I don't know where it's uh, it's being placed right now because if I'm honest with you (laughs) my mind is still positioned like Dragon Ball AF and Super Saiyan 5 are coming out any day now. It's canon! Any day! (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I saw a small JPEG in a a fucking Mexican magazine on theblackgoku.com. It's coming out any days, boys. Oh, God. Yeah, that is a whole other thing we'll have to get into Dude, in I chapter two. I had multiple shots before recording this, and I think it's finally bled into my speech I, I think it has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> I'm going to need a sense of being after this one, man. Um, yeah, so I think the Dragon Ball fandom's in a better position than it's ever been in before, but I think the also the what I think is unique is the fact that the production has actually had to have a massive upswing yeah. and in a good way. Never go back to doing TV series Toei, just keep doing movies for the love of God. Yeah. Um, basically. Okay, so we're actually into super territory. I think we should sort of like keep yeah. it. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring it back. Basically, in recent years, they've actually managed to up their production budgets, their translations, and sound design and all of that. Just don't talk about the home releases because that's a whole other kettle of fish. We don't have time. Um, (laughs) But simply put, it actually puts anime in general, not just Dragon Ball Z, but Dragon Ball Z in particular, due to the size of the franchise itself, in a really um, optimistic spot. The only dark quality about Dragon Ball Z going into the future is where do they take it? And that I think we'll have to 
explore more in part two. I agree completely. I mean, my last <clears throat> ditch effort to try and convince you to give this a, this thing a chance is yes, Dragon Ball is a, about a little boy called Goku who loves martial arting so much that he becomes god, but it has heart, it has character depth, it is a story that Toriyama designed, he drew for a decade plus to make 12-year-old boys happy, and by god did he achieve that. So frankly, if you want to get in touch with your inner child, I cannot suggest a better time than Dragon Ball. You're talking about your wee Dragon Balls again! Oh, hello, Grunkle Greg, how are you? Let me tell you, when I saw that adaptation of Journey to the West, I... Grunkle Greg! Greg! No! Will the G-Fighters be able to summon the energy to continue the podcast? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z! To be continued. Ooh.